Welcome to episode number 182 of the Savvy Social Podcast. This is a show for dedicated, passion-led entrepreneurs and business owners who want to learn how to use social media as a tool to grow your business. I'm your host, Andrea Jones, and I'm fiercely committed to helping you understand both the how and the why behind social media marketing so that you can create connection, build community, and make your difference in the world. And if you're looking for a place to get started with all of that, I invite you to join our free course. Yes, free, free 99, $0. All you do is put in your email address and you get instant access to some pretty cool resources to help you get started with social media. Everything from how to create content, how to grow your audience, how to write captions and more. And we give you some free resources to get started. Things like caption swipe files, steal our captions, put them on social media, a Canva graphics that you can edit to your heart's content and use those, really giving you a jump start with your social media strategy. You can get all of those lovely things at onlinedrea.com slash free. And this is our social media framework course at onlinedrea.com slash F-R-E-E. And that link, along with all of our links, are in the show notes, which are at onlinedrea.com slash 182. And with that, I'm going to introduce you to our guest today, Eleanor Beaton, who is the founder of Safi Media, an education and coaching company for women entrepreneurs. Safi Media is committed to advancing global gender equality, one woman-owned business at a time. Together with her colleagues, Eleanor is on a mission to double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past $1 million in revenue by year 2030, if I could say words. Year 2030. Wow. Amazing. Eleanor, welcome to the show. Hello. It's so great to be here. I can't wait to dive into this topic. I am too, because I think especially in the past, let's say, less than two years, there's been a magnifying glass put on equality and equity, and um, there's been a magnifying glass put on online business owners, like growing this space. Um, and so I think it's so, so important. But I'm curious, how did you even get started with your business? Like, how did you get started with all of these things? I had a business before my coaching business. I was a communications consultant and I had a communications consulting agency. So I kind of, you know, stumbled into that business because I had a job in advertising and then I had another job in PR and then I had another job in journalism. And the common thread was really about communicating, communicating ideas, communicating big ideas in a way that masses of people can easily understand. So I started a communications consulting business. That was awesome. And some of my clients started saying, I'd love if you can work with some of our women team members to, you know, there's an interest in helping them to have a stronger voice at the table. This wasn't the type of communications work I did or specialized in, but they kept asking. So I was like, okay, I'll try it and let's see how it goes. And it turns out I actually loved that work and decided to move into the coaching space, working with women leaders and that's really how it got started. So I started this business, the one that I'm running today, Safi Media. I started that in basically late, late 2014. So I've been around for a few years now. Oh, we're, we're business twins. I started in 2014 as well. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. I love it. Seven years and going strong. That's right. <laughs> so I, I find this work so fascinating because there's kind of an evolution that happened. Um, did you find that, you know, once you started shifting into what you do now, 
that your marketing changed at all. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, it totally changed because the type of work that I was doing before, it was very much behind the scenes. I was helping brands, organizations, political leaders, companies. I was helping them tell their story more effectively. As I became a coach and started running coaching and education programs, it became more about me sharing my story. And initially, I had a lot of imposter syndrome. I can remember, you know, hitting publish on my first blog post and just feeling like I wanted to get into bed, pull the covers over my head and never be seen again, you know. But I kept publishing um, and I kept creating content and putting it out there. Now, even in the business that I have, you know, when I first started marketing and creating content to put out onto social media, it was extremely personal. I was telling about my personal stories and experiences. This was way before sort of the vulnerability, the era of vulnerability that we, you know, that we all live in. So I was kind of, you know, sharing blog posts about my path as an entrepreneur. I would talk about my imposter syndrome, all that. And I would do basically two things. I would share it on Facebook. I would share it on my personal Facebook page. And I would share it on a business Facebook page. That was it. And that really sort of slowly started to help me build a list. And over time, I would say the thing that has changed is that I've sort of applied more and more healthy constraints. So in the beginning, I talked about everything under the sun, you know, in terms of my marketing. And it was really about having people learn more about me as a person. As time has worn on, I continue to talk about a lot of different things, but I find ways to connect it back to what I do um, and ultimately how it can support and help the people that I work with. So that's been one of the sort of biggest shifts, you know, I'd say in the marketing and my marketing. Yes. And I want to dive deeper into that topic because A lot of people listening have this duality to their businesses where they have their personal journey as an entrepreneur, and then they also have their business. Um, So talk to me about how you separate those two, if they are separated from especially a social media marketing perspective. Do you have two separate channels for, you know, Eleanor and then Safi Media? Yeah, so I do. Um, so Safi Media itself has social channels because it's its own company. It's Safi stands for self-actualized female innovator. <laughs> so uh, it also means pure in Swahili, actually. So Safi Media has its own social channels. You know, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn are our core. LinkedIn is our core. 80% of our attention really is on that platform. And then I do have personal accounts on each of those pages. But I really think there's sort of two things here. One is this sort of brand architecture, like how how do I organize my brands? And the way that I've chosen to do it is that I know that people are more likely to follow me. We're more likely to follow people than we are to follow companies initially. So our strategy really has been to, you know, I really focus on 80% of our marketing is focused on me and my personal brand. And then 20% is focused on Safi Media. And we know that as I continue to build my audience, you know, talk about ideas, create content worth engaging with, you know, building uh, awareness around who I am, I can then take some of that authority and attention and move it over to Safi Media. There'll probably be a time, hopefully one day, where where the roles are reversed, you know, where 80% of the energy is around Safi Media and 20% around my personal brand. But that's what we decided to do. 
And that ultimately has been a good move for us. But I will say there's another way of answering your question, which is around this kind of context switching. Like, am I one way on one platform and one way on another? I can't do it anymore. I tried. Like, I I have lost my ability to be anything other than totally uncensored everywhere. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't do it as a human anymore. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I... I just show up as I am because trying to think about, oh, in this setting, I'm more professional and this one casual. It's it's exhausting, honestly, to try to, to think about that. And one of the beautiful things about creating our own business is, guess what? We make the rules. <laughs> <laughs> it's our world. It's a whole new world. Yeah, yes. totally. So that's what I love about what you described, which is you just show up unapologetically as yourself. I'm curious a little bit about some of your boundaries, because this is a conversation we've been talking about um, in our community lately, which is, you know, how do we how do we set boundaries for ourselves when we're approaching social media? Because it's easy to go down the rabbit hole of scrolling all day. And it's also easy to just turn it off and pretend it doesn't exist. So uh, talk to me a little bit about that edge. So I the way that I think about it, um, you know, I really see that we're not building a business, we're building a world. You know, we're building a world. And I think the first loyalty needs to be to that world. So what does that mean? You know, I I think about what's most important to me is to understand my customers and clients, create powerful offers that are going to change their lives. And from there, create marketing, create resources and tools that both attracts the correct people, repels the wrong people, and sets really clear boundaries or expectations around who am I for and who am I not for, right? So that's sort of thing number one. And I think that um, every business should do this. And when you do this well, you start to create a very clear, orderly, magnetic world. So that's sort of first and foremost. For years, I sort of struggled with this idea of how do I build an audience on social platforms and um, how do I leverage social platforms? And I would spend a lot of time like scrolling through Instagram. I would just, I felt like I was getting sucked into that world, you know? And I think that's the challenge that people have with boundaries. What's really happening is you're no longer building your world, you're building their world, Right. So for some time, what I did is I was just basically kind of off social platforms personally, but I was doing a lot of work with team members to help them represent me on social platforms, not because I didn't want to show up, but I was like, I feel like I have an adversarial, like I I don't feel like I have a healthy relationship with these social platforms. So what I have tried to learn how to do with varying degrees of success, depending on how tired I am, (laughs) how burnt out I am, whatever, what's going on in my life is the way that I like to think about it is, look, for for any business, if we think about marketing broadly and then social media marketing more specifically, you need to have three good solid lead sources. And I'm very clear about what they are. And then my philosophy around our social media is that, okay, so so now it's about, I want to have a relationship with social media, with the platform. So I literally think about the fact that I have a relationship with Instagram. I have a relationship with LinkedIn. I have a relationship. And the reason that I have a relationship with those entities is so that I can be present when my people who hear about me in other places, when they want, they have a place where they can go 
to kind of learn more about me. So it's this, for me, it's about staying more focused on my world than I am on Mark Zuckerberg's world. And also thinking about, okay, I'm going to have a relationship with this platform that's healthy. And I'm going to be present in a way that makes sense for me when my right clients show up. So for that reason, I don't think too much about building audience. Uh, I know a lot of people do it. It's a smart thing to do. It's just that that's typically not where I'm generating leads leads from necessarily. So a bit of a long-winded answer to that question, but I feel like I take a different approach that that might be useful for somebody, might help shift how they're thinking about it. Yes, I love that. And we are seeing comments come in from our private savvy social school community about this as well, in that you have this unique approach to social media that is very interesting and very aligned with what we do in our programming. Uh, So I have follow-up questions because I love this. Um, The first is really just a statement for those of you listening. This idea of having a relationship with social media is huge and very impactful. We actually have a guided meditation to help you understand your relationship with meditation. You can find it at socialmediaunwind.com. I'll put it in the show notes, onlinedrea.com slash 182. You get to decide what that relationship is. And so many times we get swept away in Mark Zuckerberg's world. Yeah. <laughs> and then we start feeling frustrated about it, which I love. Okay, first follow-up question. You talked about marketing messages, and I want to go deeper with this. How do you develop those marketing messages and, and maybe share a few of what those look like for you as you're leading conversations with your community online? So first and foremost, you know, I think about um, so when I think about marketing messages. I'm really thinking it's to me, I'm sort of thinking about what's the work that we do? Who do I really want to work with? And who do I not want to work with? You know, so that's, that's kind of all sort of the the infrastructure that I'm thinking about. So I know, you know, for me, that our best clients, the people that we work with most effectively are women entrepreneurs who are driven by the money, and they're driven by the mission. And so uh, there's a big part of my marketing messaging that is very much anchored in my mission. So at that point, I'm not asking anybody to buy anything because I think that before somebody wants to buy anything, they have to buy you and what you stand for. They have to, they have to say a number. There's a number of things that they're saying yes to. But at the end of the day, it's yes, can I buy, am I buying into what Eleanor is saying, you know? So when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about in order for somebody to enter into a coaching relationship with my company, to invest in a coaching program. um, So I know that in coaching, it's all about who you don't work with. Coaching success is about people can say whatever they want about having the best methodology. I'm like, no, it all comes down to the fact that as a coach, you are recruiting (laughs) any service provider. You are looking for the right people. And when you never settle for anything other than the right people, your business becomes a joy to run and it grows and scales. So I'm thinking about the messaging that's going to appeal to those right people you know, so it's like, what is my mission? So I talk a lot about advancing gender equity through entrepreneurship. I talk a lot about how, you know, our traditional model of growth is more is always better. 
<laughs> you know, and there's never enough. And that what happens when we kind of shift that and think about growing businesses from a place of sufficiency. I talk about the end of hustle culture and really creating assets in order to grow. And I talk about this concept of a jewel business, which is this idea of growing a 30, 30, 30 approach to growth. So growing revenues by 30% a year, profits maintain at 30% a minute or more and growth at 30% or more. And the founder has 30% open on scheduled time. So those are sort of key things. And they start to, you know, in our social, we're talking a lot about these things. Because for me, that is that I want them to understand my mission. I want them to buy into that. And then ultimately, from a strategic perspective, I want them to either come to the podcast or to my email, where then I can start, I can start to talk in more definitive terms about what we actually do. And so in our email strategy, so it goes from sort of social, which is broader, we're casting a much wider net, you know, and talking about broader issues and vision, you know, and then in our closer channels like email, that's where I become much more, you're going to hear bolder opinions, you're going to hear um, very clear statements. And my strategy with email is to get people to move off early if they're not a fit. Like I'll be doing things to bounce people complain about unsubscribe rates. I'm like, no, I, I want people to unsubscribe if they're not the right fit because we're not adding value to each other. So I totally allow for that. So that's really kind of my philosophy. And it's all based around how can I, you know, how can I put out there what I stand for and what I believe in so that people can say yes and then they come into that closer circle to me. And there, ultimately, you know, the messaging is bolder. I'm taking a stand on things. And I'm also modeling how to take a stand on things. Um, so I know I'm offending people sometimes. <laughs> you know, I know I might be triggering them, you know, sometimes or sharing some tough love or that kind of thing. And it's totally okay because that gives them quickly the information to say, hey, I'm not for you and you're not for me. And that is so liberating. Yes. Oh my gosh. Even just as you're talking about it, I find myself being drawn into the conversation, you know, checking off boxes in my head. I want 30% profitability. I want 30% more time on my calendar. And so I find myself nodding along with the, this language and I want everyone listening to just notice how this is described. It's it's not necessarily described with a checklist of things to do, but an outcome right? Like, what do you want ultimately to get? And so I think that's so powerful with your, with your messaging, um, which kind of brings me to my next question, which is you mentioned that you have team members helping you out with the marketing. Can you talk to me a little bit about that process? Specifically, how do you share the marketing messages with them? How do you make sure that they're like the content they're producing is in your voice? So I think there's a couple of things and, and everything that I'm saying, you know, has really come through trial and error because I actually think that for me, sometimes the things that we're best at in our business are the hardest parts <laughs> for us to kind of scale or, so I always, you know, I was a writer first. My first career was as a journalist actually. And so that, or sorry, that was my second career. My first was in advertising. I moved into journalism. Yeah, second, but it was early. It was right before um, starting my first business. So writing and communicating <laughs> was uh, to, to our large audiences on platforms was always like my thing. So for a long time, I really struggled 
to figure out how can I show up so that if somebody's looking for me, uh, I'm there and I'm there authentically without, um, and how, how can I do that in a way that I feel good about where uh, I'm able to spend my time on my $10,000 tasks, you know, the, the tasks like creating offers, positioning, you know, all those things that are very high value tasks that other people probably couldn't do in my company quite yet, as well as I can. So what we do, um, you know, and I think about our social media strategy and how other, how our team members, you know, help me work shoulder to shoulder with me to deliver it. We think about a lot of social as distribution and then engagement. So what typically happens is I have a role in my company and that role is chief author. So I'm going to be creating original pieces of thought leadership and content. And so that could be a number of different things. It could be a really good lead magnet. It could be an extended article. It could be a podcast. And those are usually like the three. And then what we do is um, Denise on my team, so she's our content manager, she will take those core anchor pieces of content and then she will distribute them. And what that means is it's essentially repurposing, but taking that core content and distributing those ideas and those messages across social channels. So I've written that anchor piece and she has typically taken it in my voice, because we've worked together for a while now, but also because I did create that anchor piece of content, you know? And so then we are distributing it across social channels and then the response and engagement. And honestly, I remember it's Gary V. People have like, he's a galvanizing figure, but one of the things I find so lovable about him is his commitment to responding to comments, (laughs) you know? You know, so I try. I try. I don't always succeed. My goal is like 90-10. So 90% talking to people and 10% posting. Uh, But in practice, it works out to more like 60% of my energy is focused on posting. 40% is focused on engaging. That's really something I'm, I I know I need to improve on and I know we need to improve on. So that's how we do it. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that you let us into that process because I know that there are a number of listeners who do this for their clients. Um, And then I know that there are a number of listeners who are looking to outsource their social media. And that's part of the hesitation is how do I let go of something that has been so personal? And I love this concept of anchor pieces and, and divvying it up that way. Um, and then with Gary Vee, I mean, I like it. I mean, he, I, I, do, I, too. Like I do too. I've got time for energy. Gary Vee. Yeah, <laughs> I don't agree with everything he says, but it's like, I think he's such a fantastic example of being himself, yeah. unfiltered, uncensored, you take him or leave him. He, he, he's not, you know, he's not attached to whether you love him or not, but he does care. You definitely get that feeling that he cares. And to me, that's just so powerful. And that's like the promise of social media is that ability to connect. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And he cares. And he's so, um, the fact that he's so well known too is part of it. Like, even though people don't like him and, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about a lot of things he says, but, just the way that he shows up with that level of care is notable. 
Um, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about measuring success. So, you know, we've kind of talked about how you approach social media, how you create content, even spending 90% of your time or aiming to spend 90% of your time networking is amazing. Um, what are some of the things to do that you do to make sure that all of this is working? <laughs> Sell, sell, sell. (laughs) So here's, you know, here's the thing, right? Like, I feel as though I think that sometimes um, people can be there's there can be a tendency to confuse metrics for wisdom, to be too smart by half, and to um, be so focused on ROI, and on drawing direct links to ROI that we forget how awareness and marketing and brand building actually work. So I'll give you an example. Um, You know, I can remember when I can remember being in situations where people would ask me um, very specific detailed questions about my return on ad spend. And on the one hand, I understood it. And I do look at those things because we do advertise on social media. And of course, I look at ad spend. But the interesting thing about this is if we think about, I think about if, if everybody here just kind of wrote down like the last, you know, mem- the last five memorable things that you invested in, like what are the last five sort of memorable things, like not necessarily going and buying like eggs or st- swinging by to get coffee, but the last five memorable things that I invested in, you know, what were they and how did I hear about you know, these things. And a lot of times what happens if I think about buying something in the education category or a service category, I heard about something and then someone told me about something and then I saw an ad, but I didn't do anything with it. And then I went to the website and then I listened to a podcast and then I got retargeted because I went to a website and then there was a Facebook ad. I didn't do anything, but then I went back to the direct sales page and bought my purchase would not necessarily be tagged back to an ad, right? But it was a part of the universe of influence that, you know, a a broader marketing thing made on me. And so that's what I understand too. And I have found that I have made the dumbest, most short-term marketing decisions by trying to get quick wins by measuring immediate ROI and that I've been most successful as a marketer when I think about, I want to build a world What's really important to me, number one, is that I get out in front of people that they hear about me and that I don't have to twist myself into knots to make sure I'm super fancy because if they don't like me when I'm being myself, they're not going to like me when they're working with me, you know, in my program. So I'm going to try to be as authentic as I can and I'm trying to get out into their world, you know, and then I'll know if the tactics that I'm using are working by what's happening on the sales end, meaning lead generation. So email list growth overall, you know, prospect calls overall, sales overall, retention overall. Those are four, the, uh, you know, the, the metrics that matter that tell me, uh, is our marketing working in general? Are we bringing in the right people? And are we having enough lead indicators to meet our revenue targets? So what happens is I can't trace it all back as clearly as some people can, but I have an instinct. Oh, that's interesting. We started doing this. And a few weeks later, I started seeing, I definitely noticed an uptick in X. And now I have an instinctive connection to what works and what doesn't work. 
rather than trying to, you know, be overly reliant on, on spreadsheets and metrics. Not that I don't think those things work or that they're not important, but it's not as much my style um, to do it that way. And I really feel that with marketing, it's, we're trying to put stuff out there and see, you know, and, and meet people in different places, you know? And so you never quite know how a lead first got to you. Cause it might say it was through a Facebook ad, but it actually wasn't. It was that her sister-in-law um, used to date your ex-boyfriend and they said something about it and it was at a party and that, you know, like it could be stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So. Oh, that's beautiful. And definitely going to give me some food for thought for, even some of the ways we approach marketing um, internally, we've been talking a lot about the concept of tracking, especially with organic social media, you know, yes. even it's with so something hard. like yeah. Yeah, uh, one of the, one of the things that we've been looking at is it's part of the Instagram culture to see a post in the feed and to share it to your stories. Right. And so when we think about tracking that action, it's almost impossible to say, oh, this person shared it to their stories. That's why they followed me. And then, you know, three months later, they joined my program or whatever the case may be. We don't even remember how we find stuff sometimes. So I, I love that your perspective on that. And you've given us so many amazing, amazing um, tips today for those people who want to take it to the next level with you. I know you have this 10k hour super high value checklist. Can you talk to us a little bit about this? Yes. So basically, you know, when I think about being a founder of a company, we often start our companies, we're doing everything, you know, but when you think about, um, when you think about growing your company, there's certain tasks that are incredibly high value and can contribute to the long-term growth of your company in ways that other lower value tasks can't. So what the 10K hour is, is a checklist of tasks that a founder can do over the course of a week that are valued at $10,000 an hour. And of course, that's like an estimate, right? But what we're saying is, look, these are some of the highest value tasks you can do in your business. And so it helps people to think about managing time differently. And what you're really starting to do is managing very, like setting really clear priorities about what the most important things you can be doing are in your business and where you can be adding the most long-term value. So that's what that checklist is all about. It's got some great resources and um, could be very valuable for some of your listeners. Yes. And I'm going to put that link in the show notes. Y'all definitely need to download this onlinedrea.com slash 182 because we need to focus on those 10K value tasks. I know I'm going to download it uh, because I'm looking at this right now in my business. So (laughs) love it. Um, Where else can people connect with you online? Pimp yourself out. <laughs> Listen. Okay. So eleanorbeaton.com. You can go to um, Power Presence Position, my podcast. And my sort of top place where I probably spend the most time is LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. And I, I spend, I'm a little bit on Insta too. Just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And like I said, we'll put all of those links in the show notes, onlinedry.com slash 182. Eleanor, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, you're such a fantastic interviewer. I just loved this conversation. It was just effortless. You're so good at what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And for those listening, tuning in, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Savvy Social Podcast. 
make sure you follow us on all of the places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, give us a five-star rating. We appreciate your support. And it's because of you, dear listener, that we have remained in the top 100 marketing podcasts on Apple Podcasts in the US, Canada, Australia, and the UK. So thank you so much for your support. Stay tuned because next week, we have another value-packed episode coming your way. I am super excited for that. So I'll see you then. Bye for now.